Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Plot Lines. I'm your host, Connor. And today we are the Avoiding Babylon uh, competing show. Uh, uh, that that is our sole purpose. That's uh, that's our job. No, no. Today we're going to be talking about what conservatism is because I think it's one of the mo- one of the most nebulous kind of uh, words that people really don't know what it means and what it means to, well, like wh- where it originated, as well as sort of how people think about it and whether or not it's really a viable uh, sort of worldview since it's so uh since there are so many types today with me i have thursday the producer of pints with aquinas as and uh new polity and i have darren that's it darren uh <laughs> darren is uh, often a member of the avoiding babylon uh, uh what is it? avoiding babylon trivia show he's yeah, much which, smarter which than hasn't most... happened for a long time <laughs> that's true i think they don't like him anymore that's that's why it stopped happening that's because they were like is. we don't want darren on our show anymore that's probably it right uh anyways so welcome to the show welcome back both of you since you've both been on the show thursday how you doing i'm doing good how are you great uh darren how are you doing i'm doing good doing great awesome so, Darren, would you mind uh, giving the audience a little bit of an idea um, uh, what uh, what types of conservatism there are, just from your mind, from your off the top of your head? Uh, well, there's a lot of different kind of types of conservatism. Most of the time, I think, uh, in general, most people are going to think of uh, the term neoconservative or like... Uh, maybe Tea Party conservative and, and more modern time frames. Uh, but there's um, there's a little bit better terminology for Stop. Them. I will go away. I will leave. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Darren, sorry, continue. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, there's, uh, there's kind of like a libertarian conservatism that's uh, going to be a little bit more focused on, I think, what most people kind of – typically think of conservative today is going to be more focused on free market economics and uh, small government, uh, kind of small government intervention. And then you have uh, a kind of a liberal conservatism, which is kind of, I, I want to say that's kind of defined as more what people try to think of as like classical liberalism. Can you um, define liberal? <laughs> I'm gonna be difficult early. I, and yeah, no, hey, that's, because I think we probably mean different things by it. So I think I think liberal. I, I mean, it's a little bit difficult because I think it's it's kind of changed a little bit. Uh, the lexicon has has changed its meaning in the past hundred years, but from a classical liberal, I think it's more of a focus on like the individuals. Uh, you know, it, it's going from the kind of the Adam Smith kind of like the individual's consent to be governed. So okay. it's it's kind of like a so so there's less of a communal aspect of um, society, and more like it's it's an individual consent and individual participation of uh, being part of the community. Did you say paleoconservative? 
I have not yet. I was just, okay. I was about to get to those. Okay. <laughs> so, so uh, after World War II um, and kind of during the Vietnam War area, you kind of have two new branches of conservatism that kind of develop. These are kind of known as the neoconservative and the paleoconservative. And these are going to be probably best defined. Um, the best way to kind of define them is going to be kind of more if you're like isolationist versus like we have to be the world's police. Like we should interfere and like like we should be more aggressive and being involved in like the world and, and promoting democracy. So that's kind of more of the neoconservative, whereas the paleoconservatives more like, no, we really need to focus. We need to worry about our own borders. We need to worry about our own stuff. Um, and I think, I think a lot of, a lot through the Bush years, I think people who tended to call themselves conservative, I think for the most part, were really confused. Like, I don't think they really understood the, like, I think they got swept up into more of the neoconservative. We have to be like, we have to be going out in the world and, and, and kind of doing that. And they kind of, it wasn't until after Bush got out that people were like, hey, wait a second, like the paleoconservative kind of ideals kind of came back. Uh, this is, it's Buckley Jr., or, you know, William F. Buckley versus Buchanan. Yeah. You know, so the neocon versus the yeah. paleocon. Bu or would, wait, is Buckley neocon? I guess he Buckley would be, Buckley would be more neocon in that example. Buchanan was one of the first people, I think it was back in the early 90s, like in the 92 election, that actually put forth an idea of building a border wall. Yeah. Yes, there's uh, people can uh, say that uh, Buchanan sort America of America would have been saved if we had only <laughs> we only listened to Buchanan. If we had elected <laughs> Buchanan in '92, America would be fine today. <sighs> I, you know, what's crazy is I thought he was a little bit. Granted, I was pretty young, but like I got the impression from my parents. <laughs> It was a little bit. It was a little bit crazy. I told you I was going to do it, and neither of you believed me, did you? Well, I believed I, you. I was okay with it. I'm fine with it. I don't care. I told him before the show started I was going to say something inflammatory and then light up a cigarette immediately. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how inflammatory that was. You're going to have to work harder. Uh, well, I've got another. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, plenty of opportunity. That's why I didn't expect it. I thought that was too uh, not in very mild. Story. Yeah, yeah, very mild. I actually opinion. stole that from. This is a total aside, so we'll get back on track. But I stole that from John Doyle. Actually, he said he said at one point that if we had elected Buchanan and Norm Macdonald had been given the Daily Show instead of John Stewart, America would be okay. <laughs> that was, I'm, yeah. almost, I'm almost inclined to believe that. You know what's crazy is I feel like Buchanan got a little bit crazier as the '90s, or sounded a little crazier as the '90s went along. But then after, after the Bush years, like he all of a sudden like almost sounded sane. <laughs> like I was like that guy actually is making a lot of sense now. <laughs> and now in 2023, it's like man, yeah. I don't think he was wrong about. Anything. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> he may not have been wrong then either. <laughs> Both Thursday and I have no memories of any of that, and Darren's only recalling based on uh, parents. <laughs> I, hey, I, I, I know enough to say that I knew he was like talking about a border wall back in '92. That that's good. People can also look up <laughs> old videos for that too. That's that's fair. Oh, the speech he gave at the Republican conference. Um, 
where he told the story about the L.A. riots. That speech is insane. I can't remember what that speech is called. Uh, give us a, a short it was in an RNC now. in the 90s, and he was talking about he, – he talked about a moral – hold on. Paul thinks um, he derailed the conversation. I don't think he derailed the conversation. Paul is here to bully me. That's the only reason he's here. Oh, okay. How do you, how do you know? How do I know? Because he told me not to choke before we went live on Discord. No, how do you know? <laughs> oh, he's a friend of mine. Okay. Um, also, Margo thinks you should be smoking a cigar. Yeah, well, you know, not my style. Um <laughs> I forget what the speech is called. It's at the 1992 Republican convention. Yeah. It's a great speech. Um, people should go watch it. Also, so this is uh, getting. We'll get sort of into um, what sort of the uh, the origins of conservatism. You know, so liberalism, libertarianism, left leftism are all just flavors of Whig. I think that's interesting. I don't know if leftism is, but I do agree that probably liberalism and libertarianism. Are come from sort of uh, the Whig idea, and that's also, I mean, uh, Edmund Burke was a Whig when he created sort of the the first conservatism. I don't, I don't know that any real leftism really developed, at least not in American politics, until until around the Great Depression. Well, that's why I say leftism isn't yeah. isn't a Whig thing. I think that's yeah. more, I think that's a Marxist. I, thing. I I would agree. I think that's more. I of think a... Marxism is is a liberal ideology. Okay. So this is where why I wanted you to define liberalism, mm -hmm. because liberalism is the is the insistence on um, government needing a sovereign, and on um, a and the idea of the social contract and the idea of human existing fundamentally as the individual. Um, and so I think Marxism is just Marxism. Um, most conservatism today, um, definitely libertarianism. They're all just flavors of John Locke's liberalism and Hobbes's liberalism. That I agree with, I, mm -hmm. I, but I don't know if that. Uh, I, I sorry, yeah, Darren, you go. Yeah, I think I think that the difficulty though is we're kind of. In, in a lot of modern politics, we're kind of stuck in like kind of Hegelian dialect of like defining individualism versus collectivism. And we're trying to, oh, we want to be more individual, small government, like make choices versus like becoming more of a collectivist society. And the problem is, is that neither one of those is really hitting the mark of understanding what society is really meant, like what, what the foundational support of society is. Um, in some respects, like it's something like something like Rerum Novarum was trying to kind of get at a little bit was like, um, I can't, I can't remember what the name of the, uh, there's a, there's a Jesuit who, who wrote in the mid 19th century who kind of helped inform Rerum Novarum. Uh, and he kind of was, he's, he's, he was one of the first to coin the term social justice, but he kind of like, wanted to tweak Locke and say that it's not really like a social contract that's being entered into. It's government is kind of a natural outgrowth of family life, like of, of the, of that, like 
family is yeah, the, so that's the, the from, simple it's, it's a basic society yeah. and then like it it grows out of that yeah because no human is born as an individual so the idea that we are born as individuals and, and join collectives has to be false mm-hmm. um, also just a warning for everyone darren pronounces everything terribly i do <laughs> rarum navarum rarum navarum got it Hegelian. Thursday, isn't that just terrible? Hegelian. Hegelian. Okay. I have a friend who mispronounces names of my favorite novels on purpose. <laughs> like the characters in the novels, he mispronounces the names on purpose just to mess with me. Perfect. Well, that yep. yeah, that's perfect. Uh, exactly. Um, so yeah. Uh, so yes, we're not. No uh, human is really truly individual in that sense. We're all part of a society. We're all part of a society, and you know, it, it seems to we me live though in a society we live in a society. But one of the things that it seems to me that uh, caught me back, um, sort of made me really think when I watched, uh, I share we watched some videos uh, that we're discussing today. And uh, do you guys want to watch any of them, or should we just talk about them? Should we show any of them, do you think? We could just talk about them. And, and okay. Unless there's specific sections, then maybe it'd be nice to clue the audience in. Well, maybe that um, you want to talk about a Margaret Thatcher part. Oh, uh, yeah. Do you want the to watch? Part of the Scruton interview? Yeah. yeah. I sent you the link with the time codes in our chat. Yeah. Yep, I, I have it, so I'll uh, present that when it's ready. Um, but the interesting thing about the uh the what is it the edmund burke part is that he really reminded me of someone like dave rubin like the way dave rubin has quote-unquote become a conservative is basically like looking at his own form of the french revolution and uh being you know terrified by what it what has been created by basically people that sort of think the way he does but just he's like, I don't want it to go this far. Yeah, yeah. If we could only get to the Democrat Party of the 90s, you know, <laughs> if we could only get to the, the Democrat Party of the 60s, if we could only get to the yeah. the Democrat Party of the 50s, rather than just admitting that the, the system itself is a problem. Yeah. I mean, the, the yeah, the, the problem itself is that uh, there's – it's kind of like a, a living leech. Like it's never going to be satisfied with, it's never going to say I've had enough. Yeah. It's always going to, it's always going to want more. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. And that's why Burke and, you know, in some ways I think my understanding is the national reviews motto was uh, basically standing at the, um, the edge of something and yelling stop like don't go don't like don't go further uh basically that's all they do it's like a lot of what conservatism is is not providing solutions to the problems of the day but just trying to hold back the left have you guys ever seen limitless with uh, yeah. bradley cooper is that yeah. where the guy becomes limitless yeah his he takes that nzt pill and he's like able to counter like most of my like uh, there's a there's a scene early on when he's on NZT and like as he's meeting that like broker character that's going to make his introductions for the first time and he's at a bar 
and he's making a speech with them and he's talking about like, yeah, look at the English empire. Like it never got to a point and said, Hey, you know what? This is fine. I'm happy with everything that I've made. I don't need to expand anymore. <laughs> like nobody ever, nobody ever does that. and thinks, okay, I'm done. It's you always, there's always that next, that next little bit, like, no, we can go further. We can go deeper. We can go more. And that's, it's, uh, it's that, it's that almost that drive of like utopian that kind of, I mean, you know, that kind of like that perfection, like, oh, we can put that perfect society and all that. If we just tweak this and tweak that, um, there's a great quote and, uh, I'm going to butcher this book's name. I love it. I love it. Whenever Connor calls me on it, brothers, Karmakov. <laughs> I think you put letters in that that aren't in there. <laughs> yes. You put something it's Karamazov. in there. Actually, no, I think it's in Crime and Punishment. Where he's, uh, <laughs> you can say that at least. Yeah. I think it's in Crime and Punishment the first time that he's meeting with the police lieutenant. Um, and like trying to reclaim some of the stuff from the uh, murdered uh, pawn lady when they're talking about his his uh, research paper and they're having a conversation. And one of them is like the, I it, it's this Marxist idea where it's like, well, individual people make like thousands of errors all the time. And the great thing about Marxism is that it basically like, what if we could like reduce the number of errors people make down to like five, we could just advance so much further. Yeah. One, another great sort of well-known and I say great, obviously not in the good sense, but in the in the you know well known and uh, uh, powerful, the great conservative Otto von Bismarck uh, was one of the things he did was he basically gave in to the left in, in the area of sort of um, I don't know like what is it centralizing uh, sovereignty. Well, I mean, he wanted that anyways. That wasn't uh, and universalization through the state. Yes, as well as uh, trying giving people um, very anti-Germanic. By the way, if you if you listen, if you I've been listening to the History of Germany podcast. Very Otto von Bismarck like did something revolutionary with Germans. Well, he was very revolutionary, but because <laughs> but he was con he considered himself a conservative. He gave into uh, the. Uh, he started the state, the what it, what is it called? The state welfare. Uh, welfare state. Thank you. He really increased social security. Thank you. Uh, he put that together in to placate the leftists. Basically, that was he, he was placating the liberals in order to maintain security. So a lot of what these conservatives have done, and it's interesting. In uh, Roger Roger Scruton says basically that. Only in the English-speaking world would someone come up with a conservative thought process. What do you, What do you guys think about that? Um, I understand what he means by it because the the Anglosphere's conservatism is fundamentally different than everywhere else. Um, but the principles, honestly, are not. Um, obviously exclusive to the language. So, well, well, do you mean sort of like the traditional elements are not exclusive? 
like the like values are not exclusive yeah the values don't seem to be exclusive i mean we have True. places like um especially with like modern conservatism we have places like italy and hungary and i'm, I'm a um, big fan of hungary's conservatism and um austria who are engaged in some level of what we would consider to be conservative in the anglosphere but i think that's something entire like something different than the conservatism of the anglosphere because it's not bound up in liberalism i i'm unsure because i think anytime you're willing to maintain sovereign power within the state you're bound up in liberalism i i tend to agree with connor though because i because my my limited research <laughs> to prepare for this i was noticing like that the there was a french conservative movement that developed after the um french revolution but was led under the idea that the the church needs to be more involved with the state and it, that's not necessarily necessarily saying that the state needs to be sovereign it's it's about kind of that dual kind of like that church and state kind of is is where society is like it needs to that that dual power of the temporal and the the spiritual order if they're if they're bound together though that's still liberalism i think what well i don't think we've ever seen um a successful restoration uh since the french revolution of a previous uh, type of cons uh sort of conservatism prior to liberalism if that makes sense yeah this is why i was saying that i think conservatism is still fundamentally liberal in the lockean sense but i think in the east they're further away from liberalism <clears throat> than we are that might be the case but they're still fundamentally operating within a liberal societal and governmental structure what would be a non-liberal conservatism? Do you think? Like, set me, give me some. See, this is why of... I. So I've I said this to you. I'm. I don't know if you remember this, but I've I've recently been thinking that the word conservatism itself um, is to some degree problematic because it insinuates that we ought to like hold in place, you know, um, instead yeah, of yeah. progressing towards the kingdom. Um, and this is something that the left is right about, right? We have to continually be progressing to some goal. Um, and so I don't think there, I, I think conservatism in that way is fundamentally just going to be Lockean. Um, I think you would have to leave the, I think you would have to leave the, um, you'd have to leave the liberal sphere. And then I don't think you would have something which would rightly be called conservatism because you're no longer, once you're no longer like, trying to maintain the status quo of sovereign power um, and of universalization of a nation under under a state under a nation state the the nation states that come about in the late middle ages um, mostly through um, I mean the best example of this is when France universalized all their smaller communities um, kind of undoing the great reign of Louis the ninth um, I don't think you could rightly call that conservatism, and I don't think any conservatives today would be okay with that, um, because you would be fundamentally uprooting governmental structure in a way that 
you would be making the the government, the governing force, simultaneously more and less powerful. Um, so, and this is another thing I've recently said is um, that when Republicans say small government, they mean less government, not small government. Um, um, small governments would just be like more local governments that are not necessarily contingent upon the 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 upper higher authorities for their existence. And they would in of themselves have um, have just authority um, and, and they, their, their authority would be, you know, to some degree shocking to to modern libertarianism. But to some degrees, they would be, you know, fundamentally, I mean, almost anarchist in, in the way people um, almost anarchist in the way people would view them. Um, so almost like the German city states. In a sense, like yes, each. exactly. Before so, Bismarck universalized, right? This is a right. fundamentally liberal thing he did. He universalized yes. and and subverted co communal, smaller governments to a to a nation state. Okay, Thursday. I agree completely. Do you have a name for that? That's that's that that's my thing. Is yeah, it's I Catholicism. Love... <laughs> okay, but that is it. A is that a Subs like... subsidiarity? No, but subsidiarity, subsidiarity, yeah. Subsidiarity well, can't be a – it's not a full political system. Well, well I think it is. I mean you have the – It really is to some degree. It's, it's, it, it's it, a, it, it, The demand subsidiarity puts on how governments should be um, should be organized is, is in itself best. so heavy that it, it, it fundamentally would be a system. It it basically insists that local lo, local local governments would would uh, do yeah. best to to organize its people. Let me put it this way, because this will this will I think get some people to think. Um, subsidiarity demands that the lower governments are not subsidiarities of the higher, but rather the higher are contingent upon the lower. Because if you have in like the American federalist system that that a lot of Catholic like, conservative GOP mainline Catholics want to talk about how great it is. And I won't like name names or anything, but as soon as I say this, you'll kind of see what I mean. The The states have power because the federal government protects them and, and grants them power. And the cities have power and the counties have power because the states have power. So in a very real way, the authority of your local police department is purely, or the power, excuse me, I want to make sure I use the right words here. The power of your local police department is just an, an arm of the federal Right. Because if the federal cease to give the the their their allowance to the local police, to the county, to the state, then that power would just be uprooted and leave. Right. So even though we have a system of of inner of, you know, smaller and smaller governing authorities or governing powers. Sorry, I want to make a very clear line between authority and power because um, we just because we have the, they go down, they get smaller doesn't mean we're engaged in subsidiarity. Because in a subsid in a system of subsidiarity, the the state would only you know the county could only exist if the city, as extensions of the city's powers bound together, and the states would only exist as as um, the county's powers bound together, and so on and so forth. Um, so you can't have subsidiarity if your lower powers are merely subsidiarities of your higher powers. The higher powers must always be contingent upon the lower. And that's where authority comes in. That's what it's authority when it's justly when it's justly used, and it's it's relied upon the family and the community first. 
Yes. So is it pronounced subsidiarity or subsidiarity? Subsidiarity. Oh, Darren. <laughs> so I don't I don't think that's a great I don't think subsidiarity is a good enough name for the uh like overall the, the overall political. Yeah. I, I will say I I read a book um if we need to name it, that's fine. The point I was trying to make was that the demands that the principle yes. puts on government is so strong that I think I could wrap it up by just saying it's subsidiarity. Oh, yes. I, to I totally agree that the main, in some sense, the main principle just has to be subsidiarity. And that, you know, really the sort of the government above all that's not, that's actually below all is the, you know, it's the same thing as like, you know, the, uh, the first shall be the last, you know, the, uh, you know, basically the servant, the servant king, you know, well, the, of course yes. he should be sort of, he should be lower than uh, everyone else because he's there to serve. Yeah. I think a good example of this, and I can do this really quickly. So I know I've been going for a minute here is that Louis the ninth. Um, if anybody's interested in this, they should read uh, Dr. Andrew Jones's book before church and state. Um, he would, if he was, if he was called in to a smaller community to, to fix some dispute, he would establish what the custom of the community was that allowed peace. Right. And then he would merely reestablish this custom. So his authority was merely to reestablish the custom of the local at that level and reestablish peace. He had a priority of peace. Yes. Uh, so he's not saying this is the law, therefore I enforce it, right? He's saying, what is the custom here? Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to note, you know, particularly during like a, with the fallout of all the Iraqi war and Afghanistan, like trying to spread democracy and stuff like that. A lot of, there's been a lot of people that kind of point out that throughout a lot of the Middle East, there's a lot of kind of like tribal element. In, involved in in the local politics and that democracy just doesn't kind of flourish in that and in some respects democracy was able to kind of take hold because of a lot of these kind of liberal kind of universalist ideas that thursday is kind of mentioning like the idea that germany during the Habsburgs could have like developed kind of a democratic system is probably very laughable. Like there's no way that those different city states and the tribalism of different princes would have ever allowed one, one sect or one faction to ever gain control over and tell them what to do. Like it just would have never been capable of happening. They didn't even, they didn't even let the emperor tell them what to do. <laughs> most, alone, well, and, and, and that's, and that's kind of the interesting thing is that the emperor what to do. The emperor, uh, in many cases, had to continue flying and traveling so around my... to try to keep making sure that he had the proper consent to rule. Can you guys hear <laughs> me, or am I... I can. I'm just trying to talk over you. Yeah, I can hear you. <laughs> okay, sorry. Did I go away, or... No, you're good. You're, you're fine. Anyways, can you hear yeah. us? Connor? Can you hear that's us, Connor? Darren, that's, okay. That's I don't. I don't know if Connor can hear us. Maybe his uh. Yo, chat. If you can hear us, put in chat. We do a little trolling.
Okay. Can you guys hear me? I can. We can. We, hear we you. have always been able to hear you. Could you hear and us? I can hear. Okay. Well, <laughs> okay. Well, it, you got. I was hard to hear you guys. You guys were cutting in and out for me. Whether wow. you know whether or not it was for the chat, I don't know. Okay. So, but yes, the like uh, back in the Holy Roman Empire, there really wasn't um, this. There wasn't centralization, so therefore there was not this possibility of democracy. Also, democracy ends up being, you know, I I want that thing. I'm going to vote to get that thing for myself. Yeah, and if the, next time a, people... the next time a boomer makes the comment about where has communism ever worked, ask him where democracy has ever worked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only places that have ever gotten close or stability in in a sort of realm that has some level of democracy has always been because it's a really slow change and it's also largely homogenous yes that too uh people always say the most you know the best places are the scandinavian countries that that's that's the like socialist uh yeah socialism doesn't work in scandinavia because socialism is awesome (laughs) Yeah, so, well, it's not really even socialism. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. Is that it's yeah. it's actually, it in some respects you could also you could almost call that a type and form of conservatism, to to some arguable degree because it's yeah, but it's more of an extreme form of social conservatism because it is reinforcing the homogeneity of the society. Yeah, the homogeneity. Yeah, and and strictly enforcing like. Uh, uh, who comes into the country and decides to live there and all that kind of stuff, which is which most people would today would consider to be so terrible and nationalistic, but that's that's really I mean that's the except that, for most recently they've got the the migrants thing that's just within the last six years or so yeah societies are breaking down yeah okay do you guys want do you want to talk about the Margaret Thatcher part? Yeah, I do. I really want to. So bad. you have it. You have it ready, queued up, Connor. Yep. Oh, I just need to click present. Again, in 1979, Mrs. Thatcher becomes prime minister in the same year. <clears throat> Your views of Mrs. Thatcher are a little more complicated. I think that an American conservative would expect to read picking up a book entitled How to Be a Conservative. On the one hand, and again I'm quoting, in the midst of our discouragement, Margaret Thatcher appeared as though by a miracle. And that surely I, uh, that surely is the way it felt to many people. On the other hand, and again I'm quoting Roger Scruton, quote, I never swallowed in its entirety the free market rhetoric of the Thatcherites close quote. So explain that. She's a miraculous being, but there's a lot of yeah. hogwash involved. Well, she came into, into our lives as a representative of our country at a time when the country looked particularly enfeebled by, um, by the trade unions, by the whole Labour Party attempt to rope, the, rope society into a, a communal prison uh, run by the state. All that was wonderful. We felt, you know, phew, we don't actually have to go along with all that crap. We can, we can do our own thing. 
uh, and we can revert to our natural condition as, as uh, rebellious, eccentric Englishmen. But um, she felt that she had to embellish it with a complete doctrine, which she borrowed from the Institute of Economic Affairs, you know, about the, the, the need for a market solutions to every social problem. Uh, now, I'm all in favor of market solutions uh, where they apply, but not every social problem does have a, a market solution. And there, are, there is a need for the maintenance of, of traditions in, in education uh, and in culture uh, and in the law, which are not traditions of free enterprise, but much more conditions of uh, uh, some kind of collective renunciation. Uh, you know, that I, people renunciation of the state. Uh, no, renunciation of one's own uh, individuality. You know, that's what a culture is, partly. So, and I think she wasn't sensitive to, to all that part, aspect of things. And you have to remember that we inherited, at the time when she became prominent, we inherited a, uh, a society and an economy that had been radically changed by the Second World War and by the socialist governments that came into being because of the Second World War. You know, people, people wanted a government based on planning because they had felt that the war, the war showed the need for planning. If, if it hadn't been for planning, we wouldn't have survived it. And we almost didn't survive it because people weren't ready for it, etc. Is that, do you want him to continue or is that? No, that, that was pretty much it. Yeah. Okay. Just because I wanted, I wanted to, I just wanted to point out that that's John Paul's complaint. Okay. Yeah. It, 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 there is no, well, I don't, th I think that one of the big problems with Margaret Thatcher was she sort of was a, I think she was middle class, you know, and she, she rose up. So, uh, through, uh, her, uh, working at her father's, uh, shop and she basically had only the understanding that a market was the only solution like that, yeah. that, uh, that there was no nothing outside of that that was a problem, and this really comes from sort of this uh, collapse of morality as well. I mean, this is the was the seventies when she came into power. I think it was the seventies when she came into power. You know, the sixties have already happened. You know, the summer of love has already happened. I don't know if there was an equivalent in England, but I assume there was something similar. But once you all basically all they could talk about is market solutions for it and i i want to eventually do a episode with a churchill expert cuz he talks about churchill later on or uh, compares churchill and margaret thatcher and the thing that sort of comes across is that churchill at least because of his i think arist aristocratic background he sort of had a better understanding of what makes up a country. Well, he was still he was still operating under the understanding that Britain was an empire. That's like true, he, yes. he believed it was still the Victorian Empire and that it didn't need to cease being an empire where there's a whole lot of other forces that in the in the face of you know this land grabbing of Hitler, like all these other forces were like, well, we should, we should be like the, the moral superior and give up our empire. And he's like, no, we are the, like, we are the empire. But he yeah, also says also, this is also documented that the, 
the reason that the British were so opposed to Germany during the, the First and Second World Wars was because Germany was the main European power. And there was an internal policy. This was not like a public policy, but there was an internal policy of the, of the English government that whatever the strongest power in Europe was, was the enemy. Yeah, that's true. It's interesting, though, because the but he set the stage also for its collapse. If if he, yes. he by getting into World War II, he ended the British Empire. Yeah, this is this is true. Patrick Buchanan documents this in his book, uh, Churchill, Hitler and the Unnecessary War, I think is the book. Yes, I think it's funny that you call them Patrick Buchanan. Yeah, Patrick Buchanan. Yeah, yeah I thought I used the name. wrong name. That's yeah, his name. That's his name, Pat Buchanan. No, 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 just not Pat Buchanan. Everyone calls him Pat Buchanan. Yeah, Patrick is his full name, though. Yes. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> names their kid Pat. <laughs> yeah. You call him. Well, maybe today, to keep it, you know, androgynous. Yes, fair. Oh, <laughs> um, we want to keep it androgynous Thursday. Come on, what are you doing? Sorry, I don't know how he identifies now. <laughs> He retired. That's uh, that's for one thing. Uh, he retired just in the last couple months from uh, from his from writing his uh, weekly column or something or daily column or something like that. So that which is kind of the you know in the end of an era of this paleo conservatism and sort of this you know n sort of national conservatism has kind of t taken its place with Trump. Do you think there's yes. this? Do you think there's a national conservatism now? Is that because paleoconservatism doesn't? I think it's. I think we're becoming populist. I think that when people talk about the neocons versus the Trump conservatives, what they're actually talking about is neoconservatism, which is just at this point neoliberalism, because the neoconservatives are also um, open to making exceptions for all the social ills. So they've given up anything which makes them conservative. Um, and they're liberal in the economic sense. That's the other thing that people That's should it. like. We should never, ever bend on this, that the mainline GOP economic platform is liberal. It's just less liberal than the uh, Democrat platform. And it's been liberal since the 50s. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's actually it's actually one of the most interesting things. If you really study and research the Republican Party, the Republican, I mean, you have you have uh, Barry Goldwater and Reagan, and they're like outliers. Yes, essentially, exactly. like for the, for the uh, generally speaking, the Republican Party is probably as hostile, or in some respects, more hostile the, to conservatism than Democrats. It's just that they realize that they can't win an election without them, and that's part of what makes them. In some sense, that's what actually makes the Republican party hate conservatives even more <laughs> yes, is the fact so, that they realize that they, they need to get them bought in if they expect to win anything on a national yeah. level. The well, internal war between in the GOP right now is between the neoliberals, the, your, your, um, Elise Stefanics and your Nikki Haley's and, and your, your mad dog Mattis and your, your Mike Pence. And the populace, which is your your Trumps, your Byron Donalds, your um, Josh Hollies, um, and Kirk, Ham Kirk, Charlie Kirk, uh, Charlie Kirk. I think I'd put in the neoliberal camp, honestly, yeah. more or closer to it. 
Actually, this is a total. We could do this later, or maybe even off air. I'm not <laughs> sure Charlie Kirk has real beliefs, just because of how quickly and how drastically they change. So yeah, that's. Uh, I try when when I talk about political figures, I try to talk about people who who seem to be like actually have beliefs, and Charlie Kirk seems to me to be the kind of person who doesn't have beliefs. Yeah, but that's just kind of what a Republican is. That that I, I think I think that kind of I think in some respects I'm with Connor. That kind of helps perfectly encapsulate what I think there's that third contingent of of that Republican conservative movement that's just trying to chase whatever they think can they can sell. That's why that's why Dave Rubin's a conservative. That's why Edmund Burke is a conservative. All these people were not are not conservative in any nature. They have no belief systems that require them to be conservative. They just go with the least destructive route in the in their immediate present. This is true. Yeah. So all oh, of before this- we get off of before we get off of Margaret Thatcher, I want to tell everybody to look up Bobby Sands. Bobby Sands. And Margaret Thatcher. So everybody should have fun with that. Uh, um, he was a he was a young man who was arrested for possession of firearms and died uh, because he hunger struck over it. And uh, Thatcher knew about it and allowed him to die. So she literally killed someone for possessing a weapon. So, well, do you remember the Alfie Evans story? Does anybody remember that? I remember this. That was, yeah, that was more recent. Yeah, it was. But what 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 was the? Do you remember? Does anybody remember it more clearly than I? I just. I remember that the child was let to let die. So basically the parents wanted to airlift him to a hospital in Italy. Um, I'm doing this off the noggin. So hopefully I'll get this mostly right. Um, They wanted to airlift airlift him to a hospital in Italy. um, And the hospital in Britain that he was at refused to allow this. um, Refused to discharge him. Refused to discharge him, and there in England is no discharge. In America, you have to sign. Um, not a lot of people know this, but you, you, if you leave a hospital in America, if they say you're not safe to leave and you want to leave, you can leave, but you have to sign paperwork that, it, like, you are admitting and that you know that there's a risk to leaving. There, that it's. I think it's called um, discharge under against advisement of medic of medical professional, I think is what the paperwork is called. Um, but this is not a thing in Britain. If the doctor says you have to stay, the doctor says you have to stay. And uh, the doctors of this child of Alfie did not believe that Italy had a chance of saving him, believed that he would likely die on the path on the, on the trip to Italy. And so they refused to discharge him. Um, and so he died. Actually, if I remember right, and I could just be dramatizing this in my memory but i if i remember right the hospital that was offering to try the experimental treatment to help him in italy had a chopper on the roof of the hospital that he was at to take him at one point and they were still refusing to let him leave i feel like i remember that too or something to that effect like there there was some it even there was something where it was like so close it was i mean like shocking how close this the, the hospital that was trying to help was to him uh, Shane made this comment, all these political figures, and I'm a Catholic Jacobite with no representation. I think the problem in this situation is there are the, uh, I, what, what would be a political figure? And I don't, don't just say popes cause there are plenty of popes that would fit this, but what's a lay political figure that you could think of that 
would be a, I guess, subsidiaritist. I mean, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it again. Louis the Ninth. What, uh, what about? I wait, think. I think. I think Louis he's wanted up. Oh, sorry. Saint, about, Saint King Louis the Ninth. He's. Yeah. I think Connor's wanting somebody that's more. I would like someone uh, in the last two hundred years. Yeah. Last two hundred years. Um, I think that Blessed Carl took some of the correct steps towards this process. Um, the to turn into a democracy or republic seems to be the wrong step, but to to be willing to break down the empire, um, because realizing he couldn't govern this many people effectively seems to be the right thing to do. I think that you know, deciding that we keep the the governmental structure, the state, the same size, we just change the supposed you know system we use is is a misstep but he was clearly aware that uh a, so- a single sovereign could not govern an empire of that size i don't think he ever w- proposed democracy did he not i think he no, proposed a republic no. of some kind no he gave up power when everyone voted basic when when the allies threatened to starve everyone ah okay so the um it, they threatened to basically starve the germans and the austrian austro-hungarians until they gave up their monarchs uh, uh yes this is true and then britain did that to germany anyway <laughs> yeah well anyways <laughs> <laughs> uh after no, the no, ceasefire no. by the way that's another historical fact that people seem to forget that Britain, after they got the ceasefire during treaty negotiations, uh, starved the German people to get the German people to elect a government that would be more likely to sign the treaty the British once wanted signed. Okay, do you have an American politician? That's uh... American. No, uh, Shane thinks it should be Ron Paul is the that's, closest. That's who I. That's who I would have said. The only. The only problem with that is that Ron Paul was. Uh, only ever a senator and so obviously obviously like the rhetoric was on point and the idea of like let's abolish the uh department of education that has only basically oversaw a decline of education since its development um you know trying to make the irs state a little bit kind of smaller but the only issue with ron paul is because he was never really in a truly governance since you don't really know how well he how well he would have ever managed in like actually getting some of these ideas across so we don't know how much of that is his rhetoric that he thought was necessary to kind of keep his you know constituents happy and how much of that was something that he he legitimately believed would would be best to work well, he was even less powerful than you think he was because he yeah. was the member of the House of Representatives. He wasn't a senator. Oh, he wasn't a senator. So they, yeah. So yeah. He was. Yeah. He was even less. So powerful. even. So even still. So even more so. He. You don't know how much he's speaking to his constituents versus how much he's really. You know how much of these are like, if I had the chance, I would do it kind of thing. Thursday, did you want to quote that the the? Oh. Chat? I guess we talked about it because we can see it. And then I forgot to, yeah. Um, which chat? The, oh, the one, yeah. yeah. So on the Margaret Thatcher thing related to what Scruton was saying there, this is a quote from Centesimus. So this is from John Paul. 
Um, indeed, that there is a risk that a radical capitalist ideology could spread, which refuses even to consider these problems, the social problems, in a, the a priori belief that in any attempt to solve them is doomed to failure and which blindly entrusts their solution to the development of market forces. So this is a, an explicit condemnation of this idea that if we just like leave, if we if we should just not try to solve any social ills because we're going to mess them up anyway, because, you know, government always messes up. So if we just leave them to the free market, the free market will fix it. You know, like this what? is just explicitly condemned. The, it does seem the invisible that... hand of John Locke. <laughs> it does should seem I though... quote another one of my recent tweets, Connor? <laughs> you, you can quote oh, whatever you want. Hand. I said the other day, I tweeted this, I tweeted that uh, we should take the fedora atheist attitude, but towards the invisible hand and the constitution. And so it's just like, oh, there are human rights abuses in China. What are you going to do? Pray to your sky hand? Like, uh, uh, oh, the government's going to limit your magazine to like 10 rounds. Oh, what are you going to do? You know, read them your precious little document. Like, yeah, just, I know. Just treat it, people who treat the invisible hand in the Constitution as sacred texts like fedora atheists treat. Well, it's uh, basically Christians. like it's basically deism, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, literally, it is. they treat it as like some invisible pseudo divine force. Uh, yeah, so it's it's kind of bizarre in my opinion. Um, so, anyways, uh, was was there? Sorry. Wait, what was the? So you were talking about the? Uh, what were we talking about right before? Oh, who was? Who's else? Who was another good? Uh, Catholic. Um. Maybe not a Catholic, because Ron Paul's not even a Catholic. Who's the cl who's the next co closest thing? I think. You agree, mm -hmm. Rich? <laughs> he's, what? He's he's Catholic now, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan. What? What? He's, he's Catholic. No, I'm talking about <laughs> someone who's someone who's close yeah i understood i understood what you were actually asking but the question you asked first was catholic politicians so i was just going to name all the worst ones okay sorry joe biden uh <laughs> no who who's a distributist another distributist closest distributist to i sorry who's the closest distributist so the closest distributist to me no currently? to anyone they're probably at leo's honestly <laughs> Uh, the closest, the closest thing to distributism, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest, I couldn't tell you. Um, I don't think the American system really allows for it. Three is acres it, and a cow. Is it Tim Pool? Oh, if we're just doing commentators? Uh, let's, yeah, let's do that. So we can do commentators. Um, Who's the closest to a distributist in the commentator sphere? I mean, Seamus Coughlin is not explicitly distributist but he's very catholic now Wait, in his did politics I say, oh i keep saying distributist i meant subsidiarity that's what um, i meant i'm still gonna answer with seamus coughlin because he's very catholic in his politics now that's true is he a commentator though i mean he kind of is he's he's a regular guest on timcast yes okay there you go sorry that's my bad i um, know that and i don't know why i didn't think why i wasn't thinking that anybody else darren <sighs> I Darren's not paying attention I, to uh I'm paying attention. I just don't have an answer. No, to no to I'm saying to uh to uh the commentators probably. Or have or do you pay attention to the commentators? Oh, 
Uh, There's uh, this really cool uh, podcast called uh, New Polity that talks about this stuff all the time. Really, uh, Thursday? How I, do you know about them? I I may or may not work for them. Yeah. Really, it's like I said you worked for them in the beginning of this show. Yeah, I know. I just you said commentators, so I figured. Yeah, I've I've listened to their show a few times. I'm not I'm not completely on board with some of the things that they ooh okay talk about. I mean, we can do 401ks now if you want. Well, <laughs> I, <laughs> I know that's what you're talking about because that's well, what everybody's I, talking well, about. Well, it's it's also like anytime anytime I talk oh, to somebody Knowles, about yeah, Paul's right, Knowles. Sorry. Anytime, anytime somebody brings up like usury, it seems like everybody's like, "Oh, we gotta like force like this solution." And it's like, but usury isn't a, in some sense, a a market or politic problem. It's a spiritual problem, and you're forcing a market solution on a spiritual problem. Yes. And nobody, uh, and so many people refuse to like acknowledge that. And I think that's part of the problem a lot of I'm, times. I'm, I'm agreeing talk, with you that we are doing that. I'm just saying I don't see why it's bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. I well, because as like I just well, if you're not if you're not actually fixing the spiritual problem, like if you're not addressing that okay, what's the purpose of law? In the but, Catholic teach do you know but, in Catholic people, teaching, what do we say the purpose of law? It's is? it's supposed to te- it's supposed to be the teacher of morals. The teacher, but, yeah. But I think a lot of people just try to find those lo- like payday loans are a perfect example. They are not usurious, strictly speaking, according to the law. Now they are clearly usurious. Well, we need reality. to redefine what usury is. Usury That's, is any time you you make money from the use of money. That is Thomas Aquinas's definition. I, that is the definition the Church seems to use every time she speaks on it, and she has never explicitly redefined it. So until. I, Mr. Like, Horn can print, point out to me where the church has changed, <laughs> changed their teaching on this. I like I like Saint Basil's way of of looking at uh, usury uh, in the uh, wealth and poverty. I think he the way he describes it is usury is basically mortgaging your future. Like yeah, yeah that, that and that's for me that's like the perfect definition. Like you're mortgaging your future. Like you're 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 wanting this. You're taking something now, but you're saying I'm going to pay you later for all this other stuff. So long as I have this, you know, document in my hand that says that I studied school. Okay, which is which is which is which which I think is perfect because I'm sure Connor wants to talk about the topic of the show (laughs) and let us do usury later. I have a question: Is usury is is it still usury if it's a company taking doing making money off of money? Or I, my understanding is that it was always uh, just personal loans where it would uh, basically collapse a family's wealth if it went. Now you're getting Well, this is why they had a condemnation of it, but they also didn't have companies as we thought, as we would consider them today. Yes. That's a that's a von Mises development kind of thing. It's like, well, well, not even von Mises. I'm going to do it again. If you guys (laughs) want to read this article, there's an article on New Polity. Um, where they break down the invention of the company. Um, it actually, the first company, as we think of them today, was the Dutch East India Trading Company. Oh, yeah. Um, and the article is called, Should Christians Invest in the Stock Market? Um, so, so if you're interested in the, the 
the the genesis, so to speak, of the corporation and the company as we think of them today. Um, that that is a great have you, primer on that. Have you ever read the book uh, Money, the the mate, the uh, real history of a made up thing? No. It's a it's a good book. It's by a former. Uh, I can't. I have it on my bookshelf. I'll I'll get it to you like maybe at the at the end of the show. Yeah, but it's an interesting read. Yeah. Okay. So, but you didn't answer the question. <laughs> oh, sorry. So the sorry the the answer to the question is I think so, and I think the only reason it's not explicitly stated as such in the church's older teachings on the matter is because they did not have a conception of a company. So it's still usury, even because I thought the point of usury was that it would uh, destroy families, not because, um, not, not just purely like the, the risk is minimized. The condemnation was because you're using money to make money. You're making money without work, um, as the church considers work. Okay. Yeah. Wealth without wealth, without labor. Okay. Uh, so is there... Very very Calvin Coolidge, like, not likey. <laughs> not like Calvin, Calvin Coolidge? Well, like, Calvin Coolidge had this thing where he, like, he he was against, he was very much against um, farmer, like, a lot of relief stuff, because it was just like, you're all we're doing is subsidizing and giving free money out, and we're not really, like, that's, it's like the, like, he believed that the, the agriculture was something that you're going to put your sweat into and like, it's going to have risk. And that's part of what makes agriculture work. And when you mess with that, like you're basically giving away free money and you're going to destroy it. And I think he was right in a lot of ways, but that's, again, that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> Margo has an interesting question. So, oh, so this is, this is gift is wrong question mark. No, because it's a okay. gift. It's not, it's not profit. Okay. This is, we're talking about profiting from, um, from no work. So profit, well, um, so, she, so she, the other person worked for it. They, they are, yeah. They, it's, it's. The, so when, if somebody gives you money, you're not charging them money for using your money. This is fundamentally what usury is, right? It's charging someone money for the use of your money when what you ought to be doing is gifting it, right? And if you need it back, then yeah, ask for it back when they can give it to you back. But don't treat it as. Um, don't don't charge interest on it, right? Um, and then somebody's going to bring up inflation, and obviously this is because money isn't a real thing. So what we're actually talking about is is reacquiring value. So if if I give you a hundred dollars today and next year it's a hundred and ten dollars is when you can pay me back, then it would not be wrong of me to ask for a hundred ten dollars because what I'm actually asking for is the same value back. Um, yeah, we can we can we can do another episode on this. Let's go back to yeah. conservatism. Yeah. <laughs> I wanna, I wanna, <laughs> this is this. I'm I'm uh I I'd like to I'd like to continue on it because I'd really geek out yeah. on this stuff. But I think I think we should stick on conservatism. Yeah, I want to get to. <laughs> we should stick um, on conservatism because I can get too deep into the money stuff. I want to get to another part of the Roger Scruton. Uh, Oh man, it is getting warm in here. I don't know why I'm wearing a sweatshirt in the middle of summer. <laughs> I don't know why you do that either. Oh, it's because you're just taunting me. Yeah, I always wear I always wear my Mizzou sweatshirt when I'm on Connor's plot lines. Let's just I want to get uh, how to be a conservative. Across France, 
I quote, how to be a conservative, May of 1968 led me to understand what I value in the customs, institutions, and culture of Europe. Paris explodes, and young Roger Scruton decides to become conservative, not to join the students yeah. in the street. Why? Well, uh, gosh, why? I, I mean, for a start, the thing that most struck me about those students in the street was the um, sentiment, sentimentality of their anger. It, it was all about themselves. It wasn't about anything objective. Uh, here they were, the spoiled middle-class baby boomers who'd never had any real difficulty to cope with, uh, shouting their heads off in the street, uh, burning the cars belonging to ordinary proletarians whom they pretended to be defending against some imaginary oppressive structures erected by the bourgeoisie. The whole thing was a, a complete uh, fiction based on the antiquated ideas of Karl Marx, ideas which were already redundant in the mid-19th century. They were enacting out, if you like, a self-scripted drama in which the central character was themselves. Mm. Again, from How to Be a Conservative, only someone raised in the Anglosphere could believe, as I believed in the aftermath of 1968, that the political alternative to revolutionary Socialism is conservatism. Mm. Only someone raised in the Anglosphere. Yeah. Yes, I, I, I think if you look around the world at those political parties and political movements that identify themselves as conservative, it's only in Britain, America, Australia, um, possibly India, that people would even use that word. Um, because there is a tradition uh, uh, which we have inherited from Edmund Burke and the reaction to the to the French Revolution of, of, of recognizing that that um, there is an alternative to revolutionary change, and that is not changing. Uh, and this extraordinary original idea only enters the heads of English-speaking people. I don't know why, but it's something to do with the English language. It's sort of accommodation of, of uh, eccentricities, the fact that we live a life based on compromise, the common law, which tells us that the ordinary person is in charge of the law, not the people there who are pretending to impose it on him. You know, mm. Okay, compromise. We live in a world based on compromise. Should we be compromising? Uh, no, I don't think so, honestly. On several things. Um, it depends on what we're compromising on. Yeah, I think I think this is where that uh, the Heigl, I'm just going to stick with Heigl. <laughs> I think that's where that kind of, I think that's where the Heigl, Heigl Ugh, I'm not even on dialect kind of comes into play where you're, you're placing you're you're placing two extremes and saying it's you gotta like you gotta meet in the middle for that truth and it's and and I think that's where a lot of modern politics sits right today. And so if and I think that's really what we see a lot of in the past ten years with people kind of like that's why Dave Rubin is considered conservative, is because he realizes that 
in a lot of things, he no longer actually exists within that spectrum. So he's going to step out. And that's, and that I think is, is kind of, in some respects, conservative is getting defined as that, as that removal of that dialect, except there's still false premises within that spectrum that people are hanging on to at the same time. Do you think this comes from a false understanding? I think Aquinas says that morality is, is it somewhere in the middle or something like that? Uh, I'm sorry. Moderation or something like that. Is Aristotle's that, virtue ethics. Is that something uh, Aquinas says? I can't remember. It's it's Aristotle's virtue ethics. I think is what you're thinking of. The, okay. That that the that the virtue like the 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 virtue of the mean. Yeah. So is that sort of a false understanding of that? Do you think? Yes, because the virtue of the mean is the i is is speaking of virtue, whereas in a in a political landscape you're you're taking two extreme ideas there's not there's not necessarily an idea that what's in the middle of these two extremes that you're talking about is a virtue um uh you know what it's in i don't have the book right in front of me but it's dietrich von hildebrand touches upon this in trojan horse in the city of god and he is has, book he has reading? it is a book i'm reading and you're taking copious notes on but i don't good. have it i don't have it on me so like the only example that's in my in, my, in the forefront is the individualist versus cap collectivist where it's like it's not really it, you're taking two false extremes and thinking that somewhere in the middle is is true but you could also take that in something else where it's like like gay marriage or something like that it's like well, no, actually, this extreme over here, where it says marriage is only between a man and a woman, is actually true. To meet somewhere in the middle is to accept a falsehood. And we actually need to stay on that extreme where we're, or, or yeah. the perceived extreme. This is, yeah. the, this is the problem with, uh, with civil unions, right? Because it's, it's a compromise with with it, it, it cannot be accepted because it, it institutional it while we don't call it marriage we're still institutionalizing yeah. a fundamentally societally destroying thing this is um I, so you could do this on abortion too right like why can't we meet in the middle and say x trimester or only in cases of rape and incest or because because you are institutionalizing falsehood Man, this is this is one of the things that I absolutely hated about McCarrick the first time I ever heard him speak. <laughs> is I I was watching like some political commentary. Like my dad loves the Sunday morning poli- political commentary, and he was on talking about civil unions. Like this guy doesn't get it. Uh, <laughs> like yeah. he's an idiot. <laughs> the, the, but I I would say that also this reminds me of basically Solomon cutting the baby in half. That that's basically what compromise ends up looking like in in the at least in the moral sphere. Obviously, that there's you know compromise on you know economics or compromise on I don't know strategies or something. As long as it's not explicitly condemned, you know moderation you know is is acceptable, I guess. But I see conservatism as compromise entirely. And I think Roger Scruton even admits that basically it is cons- it is compromise in whatever situation they're in. 
Yeah. And then he goes on to say that it's like about staying. It's about not changing. Right. And yes, this is itself a problem. I think I said this earlier that if we're if we're fundamentally concerned, prime, if we're primarily and fundamentally concerned with staying, then we are not progressing towards the kingdom. And the point of society is to build the kingdom. Right. And and because we live on Earth, we're never going to achieve the kingdom. So if we ever stop and say we're content, then we are giving up on our mission as society. The first conservatives, I think, at least in the Anglosphere, were the uh, first or for, were the uh, en- Henrican uh, bishops and Henrican sort of uh, conservatives, quote unquote, of the uh, Protestant Revolution in England. They represented a class that said, we want to maintain sort of the the style, the culture, the um, sort of the setup of the Catholic Church, but we don't want to accept the papal uh, authority. Papal authority, and we don't want to accept, or and we're willing to accept the compromise of Henry VIII as the, the as um the head of the church of england they they gave up everything that that uh thomas beckett died to uphold (laughs) the sovereignty of the church this is not compromise i don't think this is compromise killing someone to defend yourself or your child not wrong that's not compromise because you're you're the other person is trying to kill you your or or kill um you or your child they're uh you're taking a stand against that i i can't i don't know why that would be possibly uh well it's a difference in kind not a difference in degree right so i think the examples we were giving were differences in degree right the difference between a civil union and recognition of gay marriage are differences in degrees of recognition um, self-defense and murder that's a difference in kind right because the the fundamental act is different the stealing example i think is a totally um separate uh, moral outlier because i think when people say like oh the church says it's not wrong to steal food to feed your family they totally forget that the church would probably also tell you that you should go ask the guy for the food first right mm-hmm. and if he fails in his duty to gift it to you um, and he fails to use it. Like if he has excess food, right. And you mm-hmm. can't steal from another per- person who doesn't have excess. Right. Um, right. So like if you've got another family and they've got two loaves of bread and they've, you know, that's all they have, you can't steal their bread to feed your kids. Right. Like, but if you go to a guy who's got excess bread, right. And you say, I need bread. My family's going to die. And he says, no, well, the church's conception of property is such that that is no longer his property. Um, so it's no no, longer geared to the common good because it's no longer geared to the common good. The teleology of private property is for the common good. And if you cease to use somebody for its, you cease to use something for its teleology, then it is no longer existing in that, in that mode. Right. So if you are, yeah, it's, it's it's kind of, it's kind of the, also like the weird kind of, uh, uh, paradox of ownership as well like if you can't give something or share something like do you really own it or does it own you also you can't really exist in a secular society can you 
Like it's it's just collapsing. A secular society is just something. Yeah, when that is this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, boomers, when has a selective uh, secular uh, non-religious society ever worked? You know, well, there's no such thing as a. I mean, yeah. I guess. I mean, they, I guess. I guess a good point. The world, then, therefore, it is a. It it works, but I mean, all, arguably, they might look back to Greece. <laughs> they might look back to Greece, but then they just forget how religious. Greece was that they had actually killed their philosophers for ignore, like ignoring half the gods. <laughs> well, all of society is religious. Yeah, it's societies just, fundamentally do exist with a religious belief at their center. It's just picking a religious belief, like the environment, like 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 worship of the environment, or basically the worship of. Uh, well, I can tell you who it is right now. I wait. wish I had my. I wish I had saved my last cigarette to say because this is the thing where I say it and I light up right here. Uh, <laughs> well, currently, who do we? Who are we fundamentally concerned with pleasing? Right? It's not God. Transgenderism. It's, it's black people and oh. homosexuals. Well, minorities basically. Minorities and homosexuals. Yes, Except we are fundamentally concerned. Our primary, the primary concern of both parties, is what will minorities and homosexuals think of this thing. Well, arguably, arguably, that's because of the populist. Uh, conception of democracy and both of them believe that the only way that they can truly win an election is by swaying that block of voters to their platform that's still worship of them though i yeah i mean i i guess i can't really disagree with that statement it's just it's just a different conceptualization of it but yeah well democracy sort of just creates its own god what whatever <laughs> yeah De uh, democracy says that the that the authority is derived from the people. It fundamentally usurps God. It's actually societal institutionalized moral relativism. It's right? worship of the self. It's worship of the people as the as the seat of authority. Whereas think, Romans they, tells us that all authority comes from God. But they also think of themselves individually as the people, in some sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it it is it's self worship basically, and when when sort of um, but of course they will truly bow before a specific group because otherwise they really, you know, what I mean, like you, there has to be there has to be some level of hierarchy in a society because if because people have to have someone to look up to, and at this point. That's who, uh, as you said, who we're worshiping is basically the hierarchy that exists. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is like um, this is so with conservatism. When I was saying that, like it started in England, it it's an inability to change, but then it but then because things do change, it by default changes. It becomes reactionary more than yeah. Exactly. No, it doesn't. It can't become reactionary because a reactionary thing would try and change restore that. something. Yes, would restore. Would try would and restore be more something. restorationist than than more than conserving. Because if you if you're conserving, it's purely it, it is a purely temper temporary belief system. Yeah. So whatever uh, conservatism is, it's a temporary system that lives within whatever system 
is currently so, dominant. So I guess technically speaking, what you're saying is that if a person is going to call themselves conservative, they need to put a date beside it. I'm a 1992 conservative versus well, a 2000 I mean, conservative. Kind of they do. They say I'm a Bush conservative. I'm a Reagan conservative. They in literally some, do. In some Ronald sense, Reagan they and his consequences do. have been a disaster for the American populace. They, 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 uh, conservatives put attach themselves to whoever they voted for and say yeah, i'm a they, trump conservative i'm a desantis conservative i'm a i'm a yeah. I, I don't know if anyone's gone that far to be a desantis conservative yet i Yo, is paul still the, here where's paul <laughs> he's a desantis conservative i i'm gonna he i don't know if he'd say it but i'm gonna call him out on it he definitely is he's worshiping desantis is that what's happening yeah. also Divorce. Divorce is a compromise. Divorce is a compromise. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it this all this stuff is just the of course Reagan was the one who signed in no fault divor divorce. Reagan was also the first governor to uh, sign abortion into law in California. He was also divorced. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Though he said it was not his. I. Ironically, uh, ironically, uh, the reason Barry Goldwater hated Reagan is because he was too socially conservative. <laughs> really? Seriously. Talk, talk about wings of the party. But Gold, Goldwater is, is what we would probably more classically term like a libertarian conservative. Like he's going to be more focused on, yeah, I want smaller government or like less government involvement but like today today i don't think he'd be conservative or he i don't think he'd even call himself republican i think he'd i think he'd be like leading the libertarian party this is kind of funny the irony of the fact that an irishman is the father of conservatism and that the word tory is an anglicanized uh irish word i did not know i didn't I, what word is tory in anglicanized uh can someone look darren can you look that up uh but it is true, yes. Uh, what's uh, Edmund Burke is a was an Irishman originally. He was I don't remember if he was raised Catholic, but he uh, he became an Anglican. So he he really is kind of this epitome of sort of falling away. And you know. If you don't look at the French Revolution and get horrified, there's just something wrong with you. Yeah. Why, why did you ask me to look this up? You know I don't know how to pronounce words. <laughs> well, you can type it in the private chat. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to be able to pronounce that either, Connor. Sorry. <laughs> I'll just I'll just put that in the main chat. Okay. Uh... Yo, if somebody asks me if I'm tired one more time... <laughs> Are you are you tired? No, chat's just like Thursday's sleepy. It's like, well, are uh, you? No, obviously, <laughs> obviously not. And sometimes I lie about things. The word is oh my. <laughs> yeah, and you asked me to do it. <laughs> uh, Thursday, do you think you could try? Heck no. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, to Rudy. To, At to least be, it's not a Welsh word. We'd be very best. Very. Uh, <laughs> to to be fair, it didn't. It uh, didn't take the. Uh, it took some of the uh, 
proper punctuation off of the letters. To pursue too. or to hunt. It, what do you, what do you think of that? Do you think what do you see think that of? that sounds like so much more badass than what the Tories are today? <laughs> well, I think it originally started with. Hold like, on, I found a I found a pronunciation because there's also high Toryism, which is much more like high Anglicanism. Yes, but <laughs> it, it's more it's Jacobite basically. It's more Jacobite, so it's about bringing okay. back bringing the, the Jacobite crown back. Bring back the Catholic king, basically. Uh, the word seems to be pronounced in a way that I don't think I can make those noises with my mouth. It is the <laughs> word Tory. Don't pronounce any of the consonants. What? Tory. <laughs> she said no, none of the consonants. To be fair, though, you said none of those sounds were consonants. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Those were just tongue tongue noises. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... <laughs> Yeah, like we should start telling children that constant. We should start calling them tongue noises and throat noises instead of consonants and vowels, because that's what yeah. they are. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um. Okay, and then let's uh, let's bring back uh, this, and um. Let's go to what what does he say about modern liberalism? This country, Trump, from the mm. British referendum on Brexit to the election of Donald Trump. Sir Roger Scruton in a talk on the BBC the week after the American election, quote, in America, as in Britain, the indigenous working class has been put out of mind, even overtly disparaged by the media and the political class. Mm. All attempts to give voice to their anxieties over immigration over the impact on their lives of globalization and the spread of liberal conceptions of sex, marriage, and the family have been dismissed or silenced." Close quote. First question, how can it be that when Franklin Roosevelt, seven decades ago, in establishing modern conservatism, the, I beg your pardon, modern liberalism, the mm. democratic of which the Democratic Party is the great champion. He did find modern he conservatism. The class at the very center of mm -hmm. that coalition. How can it be that these decades later, that same party, that same liberalism has turned its back mm. on the indigenous working class? How did it happen? Yes, it, well, it's happened everywhere. Uh, I think, again, it's one of those deep mysteries, but I think there are two important factors that contributed to this. One is that the um, the change in the economy, which has transferred an awful lot of economic activity to service activities, um, to uh, thing, activities that could be conducted through the internet or through, um, or, or through companies based outside the jurisdiction, all that. It means that the old traditional working class it, it no longer has that cohesion that it had before, and it's no longer an identifiable social mass in the way that it was in Roosevelt's day. That's one very important thing. The other important thing is that the the liberal um, establishment has ceased to represent the interests of that class anyway. It represents the interests of people who are saying that they represent the interests of that class. It's a self-serving ideology of people who want to appear virtuous without the cost of it. 
uh, people in the media, uh, the, the administration and so on, who, who love the image of themselves as defenders of the people, but recognize that when in the proximity of the people, they feel nothing except repugnance. Only repugnance. They, um, so it seems to me that ba uh, basically as time has gone on, hard work is even less of a um, valuable for the modern liberal. Is that? Yes. So it's, it's sort of become, it, it has allowed, because, okay, because the elite class in some sense has grown so big, they don't need the working man. Yeah, also they've exported a lot of what would normally be done by the working man to slaves overseas. There's there's a lot that goes into that too, because it's not only that, but it's also the warfare system, the war and property, and stuff like that, that has really destroyed, destroyed the family in a unique way, and displaced a lot of what would otherwise be workers. Well, like, if I'm going to get free money, why do I need to work? Right. Like it's it's almost incentivized people to not work or to seek out um, jobs. I mean, it, low paying jobs that you're going to have to struggle with for eight hours a day, while at the same time, never really taking into account the value of a person's free time. It's interesting that he accidentally said uh, FDR created the, you know, sort of the the, uh, the modern conservatism, which in some sense, it's kind of true because now basically those people that he catered to are, are now, I would say, some the people Trump tries to cater to. Well, Trump's more Democrat than anything else. Well, he's like yes. a ni he's a 90s Democrat. <laughs> well, the 90s Democrat <laughs> is a 2020s uh, conservative. Yeah. This is, it's, it's, it's just this moving along to be uh to appeal to the people yeah. that are necessary to win elections. I mean FDR had such a long time in office and he so fundamentally changed so many different aspects of society and what kind of the implicit assumptions of what the government's role in that society are that especially even I I can't think of who we would I can't think of who we would have needed to bring in, but like, uh, like like a republic, like the Eisenhower, you know, Eisenhower and and Truman didn't like each other, but Eisenhower is probably the best example that you probably have of what would be coined or termed like a liberal Republican, because he really did seek to expand the role of federal government in a in a large in a large capacity. Yeah. Do you think the pro-life issue is base is just basically used to uh to hold a group of people to vote for the same people all the time? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> There's no question about that. Yeah. It it's telling that the Supreme Court is the one that made a ruling on it. To or or made an effort to try and change things. Well, it's fundamentally a bad law. So 
Well, it shouldn't, it shouldn't really be that much of a surprise. But it wasn't a law. Of, it was it was determined by the courts in the it beginning. Was, it was it, a law. It was a law because it, okay. it, under under a common law system, the courts essentially whether this is something I think a lot of people it's not explained well in people's civics class because it's we have such an Americanized idea of like laws made in the legislature, but yeah, law is in a, the code, right? Right, but, that's it's, not but fundamentally the case. But, but in a common law system, that's not necessarily the case. In, mo- in the early in the early periods of of common law, particularly in England when it was in the Middle Ages, a lot of laws were determined by the judiciary and how how things were going to be. Um, you know, like today. I mean, the judiciary back then basically operated in a lot of ways what bureaucracies kind of work today. Like, we're going to, here's this idea, here's this law, we're going to emphasize how we're going to actually, like, play this out. And as long as, the the biggest problem is that you might have areas that we're going to decide things separately to a local custom versus this way. And then you had different kings that would come in and say, no, we're all going to, like, go together and that would always cause a huge upheaval because somebody would get pissed that their common way of doing things uh, got got destroyed. Is paleoconservatism the only sort of form that we've kind of discussed of, you know, quote unquote conservatism that, of course, is fundamentally liberal in nature? But is it the only one that has tried to actually make changes for the for the better? For the actual better, or for its their perceived better? Uh, for the actual better. Uh, then yeah, probably because I think they're the only ones fundamentally concerned with immigration. That seems to be the only domestic or, issue that differentiates them. Are they yeah. not actually pro-life, and or in some sense, it seems I, like I don't, I don't think I mean, they are, but so are the neocons. I mean, the I don't think that conservatives and the neoconservatives are almost at, equally effective on the pro-life I, issue. I don't think that's a yeah. I don't think that's a defining characteristic to really say this is. Really, the neocons seem to <sighs> sort of leave the pro life issue behind. It seems more often than not. More often, when I, when they need to, they're more willing to. Yeah, okay. I, I think I think they're the ones like right now are more vocal. You see that more vocal on social media. They're the ones that are out there saying like we need to let this go because it's hurting our capacity to win votes. Right. Like, yeah. So. So, yeah, when it comes when it comes down to it, it's like if it's going to hurt how we do in the polls. Yeah, they're ready to abandon it tomorrow. But I but if if they believe that it will help them in the polls, they would be telling people that it's the most important issue that they're going to be voting on. That's also a fundamental in elective uh, politics. But that's just, was really good at that. Actually, he's not neoconservative, but he was really good at making abortion the fundamental issue of 2016 because he just made one of his main he made he had two fundamental issues and they were immigration and the pro-life issue because he knew that those were the two things that um, motivated yeah. voters m- more than anything else. Um, and this is kind of why he failed in 2020, right? Because he didn't everybody, understand what was motivating people. <laughs> he didn't understand. He had done. Everybody knew he wasn't going to get any more judges, right? So he yeah. couldn't use. He couldn't campaign as heavily on the pro-life issue, um, and he kind of gave up, or he was softer on the immigration issue. Um, and I think that was 
I think that was largely down to some of the people in his ear, but this is why he was more successful in 2016 than 2020 was because his two major, um, his two major platform issues that like motivated voters to the polls for him were just impotent in 2020. I mean, yeah. And this is why he's got a better chance in 2024 again, because now it's um, now that Roe is actually overturned and the federal government and the DOJ is trying to do everything they can to fight that. It's clear that the executive once again has a chance to make significant difference here. Yeah. Um, so that'll once again motivate voters. And then, I mean, the Title 42 thing that's going on right now, holy cow, is that issue ever going to... Wait, come? which one's that? Uh, Title 42 just expired, and there is a, oh, like, the immigration one of the one. worst immmigration crises ever at our border currently. Yeah, okay. Yeah, those are So two both things. of Trump's major issues are like... Center stage. Um, are center stage, and on top of that, you have him going back to his 2015, I don't crack care about like what the media says like fully yeah. like he called that he literally called the host of the town hall last night a nasty person live on air which was hilarious objective I, I don't care what anybody says it was so funny too it was so funny for him to be like you know you're a nasty person <laughs> it was nasty woman i'm pretty sure did he call her a nasty woman i thought he said nasty person i thought it was nasty woman no because uh oh really uh, Rosie O'Donnell was nasty woman. Uh, didn't he call a few people nasty woman? Yeah, but Rosie O'Donnell is a nasty woman. Is yeah, it was you're a nasty person. Yeah. Oh really? Rosie O'Donnell oh, okay. was the big famous one. He called her a nasty woman. <laughs> Only Rosie O'Donnell. Only Rosie O'Donnell. She really is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Thursday, for that. <laughs> Uh, so Sorry. anyway, she, you, yeah, this is why, this is the fundamental difference between paleo and neoconservatives. Sorry. Is immigration. I think. Do we have, do you think we have a good definition of conservatism then? I mean, so yeah, we, I'm fine with Roger Scruton's. I just reject that. It's a good idea. Yes. Yes. That's, uh, I think his definition is correct. I just think it's the wrong idea. That's kind of funny. Cause in, in some sense, like, I think. I think conservatism plays more on off of people's feelings in that way is yeah. that you kind of, uh, um, it's, it's just his computer. Don't worry about it. What? Never mind. Don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, what was I saying? Like, okay. What was I saying? Continue. I don't, I don't know, Connor. No, what? Okay. <laughs> I said something about neoconservatism, and then you said, uh, you know, you were, we're talking about Roger Scruton, and I said that I agree with his definition. I just think it's wrong. Oh, right. And you said Cons this is really interesting. Conservatism t thinks or takes on sort of the emotional uh, belief of the time. You know, what, what, are, you th what are you feeling at the moment? It, uh, what do you want to, in some sense, hold on to what do you want to hold on to for dear life not what do you want to improve yeah yeah and that's and that's a hard thing to sort of hold back on Be, uh because you basically it, emotions basically guide votes yes okay 
So I think we should wrap it up there. Uh, Thursday, any anything uh, to say before we go? No, uh, not really. Yeah, Dar- Darren. Nope. <laughs> uh, tomorrow, uh, uh, coming out for me will be an episode on the Pope's Exorcist. Not specifically the movie. It will be base. There's a book that Sophia Institute Press released, uh, and I'm talking to their spokesman ab- about exorcism and uh, spiritual warfare, and just uh, Father Gabriel Amorth's uh, sto- uh, his thoughts on uh, exorcisms, as well as uh, there was an a video I did on the coronation that had some technical difficulties. I um, that will be public again in the near future so just keep an eye out for that okay thank you all for watching please like share comment and subscribe check uh if you really haven't i think if i think if you're watching this you probably have heard of pints with aquinas you know the giant uh the giant image behind thursday uh he is in the office of pints with aquinas so if you haven't if you're like the one person who's watching this and hasn't watched Pints with Aquinas, check Pints with Aquinas out. Uh, I think I, I I would assume I have it linked in the description. Uh, yes, I think it's linked in the description. As well as New Polity. He's the producer of New Polity, which discusses a lot of the money side of what we've been talking about, just the economic uh, version of subsidiarity. Is that... Uh, and the political uh, the subsidiary is more the politics. Which, yeah, the the money stuff focuses mostly on um, just taking seriously what the church says about money, and not insisting that because the economic system has changed, the principles have changed. Um, because a large, ma- the vast majority of Catholics today seem to be under that impression. It's definitely uh, New Polity is one of those groups that really makes you think and gets you outside of your comfort zone, I'd say. And that's a good thing. Uh, So thank you all for watching and God bless. Bye.